You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, like always, in the pandemic, my co-hostist with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Well, it's harder to get people to come into the studio, obviously, but the Zoom meetings have been pretty high quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you've also been very busy, and it takes time to arrange guests. It takes time to arrange guests. We've been very busy. People are harder to arrange because of the way that Zoom... Have you found this? Like now with being able to have Zoom meetings, it feels like your entire life is basically connected to work. Like somebody's like, oh, eight o'clock, we can have a Zoom meeting about this. And you're like, ah. Normally that would not be my... Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I know you're having many more of these meetings because you're on all these committees. I'm not on these committees. There's a reason for that. I have other obligations that keep me from doing those things. So you and your Zoom meetings. Yeah, women, whiskey, lawyers. <laughs> yeah, that's where my money goes. Um, I just tweeted it again. You go listen to my song if you haven't listened to it. It's great. I've got, uh, or and go on to uh, YouTube and get, maybe give it a thumbs down because it's got 40 thumbs up. Maybe YouTube doesn't believe that it's uh, so good because everybody's given it the thumbs up. I'm so proud of that song. I know, I know. I've been telling people about how proud you are of your song. I think it's your best so far. It's a good song, but I've written a few more now that are really good too, and I'm looking forward to getting those out. So big day today that we're recording this podcast in British Columbia. Big changes with our government. Sure. So we have a new cabinet, and um, a new cabinet that will affect driving uh, in many respects. Mm Mm-hmm. Mind you, the shuffle with respect to driving is kind of sticking with the old, you know, ones we know. Well, I mean, we have Bowen Ma, Minister of in- Infrastructure. Well, we she, have new- she gets to deal with Site C Dam. So take the, one of the most popular ministers and give her the Site C Dam. We have a new uh, transportation minister, but I can't remember who. That is correct. We do have a new transportation minister. Yep. And we have... Um, ICBC, no longer being managed by David Eby. The ball and chain of ICBC passed on to Mike Farnsworth. Farnworth. Yeah, Farnworth, sorry. You always do that. I, know, I don't know why. Every fifth time I do it. <laughs> um, both previous guests of this podcast. Love, oh, lovely people. Lovely people. Um, Was Bo and Ma on the podcast? No. Well, she can be now. She because can be now. she's infrastructure she's she's driving she's roads and highways to some extent so both of them have previously been guests on the podcast i think that this move switching icbc from david eb to mike farnworth is good for two reasons first of all minister farnworth is he's a lot tougher like there's this 
he's got a very copy thing about him, you know, like he's got this aggressiveness. Like what was it that he said the other day about people who don't wear masks, like shut up and mask up or something like that. Like he was just like, (laughs) I don't know, but he does it. He does it pretty well. He's, he's a, he's a fairly skilled minister. He knows what he's doing. He knows the portfolio. He understands ICBC. And he's also, I think, not afraid to make unpopular decisions and tell his detractors Shut up. Well, he has no greater ambition. He has no desire to be the premier. Well, you don't know that. No, I've talked to him. Has and other people that? have too. And he's said that publicly. He says, oh. I have no desire to be the premier. I've got in here to govern. And and if I'm in opposition, I'll be in opposition. I'll be a, a critic. But if I'm in govern, government, I'll govern. Yep. No, he's been uh, he's been pretty clear that he has no uh, no designs on the, on the premiership. And I don't. And it's not. A, and he's he's one of those guys that it's like it's not about him. Yeah, like I don't agree with a lot of the decisions that he makes, and I don't agree with a lot of the policy and legislation that he implements. But I think well, he and he, I get along. <laughs> he relies on on people in the government telling him how things work. Sure. And he's not there on the ground. He doesn't know how it works. No. He's relying on their spin, uh, and he's not hearing our our aspect of it and that's a problem and I wish government would would behave differently um but for the most part I mean every day he's got a busy day and every day he's got a lot to do and it makes sense when road safety BC um deals with um you know with governing the roads and highways that ICBC would be part of the solicitor general's Mm -hmm. portfolio and it, it always made sense and you know it's been switched around um, because it is a burden to whatever minister has it. Um, <laughs> ICBC, just a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, every time you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, we've got so much invested in this, should we cut our losses and run? Uh, if we sat down and did a um, did an analysis of it, would it make financial sense to continue with it? Um, we're ideologically bound to it since 1974 mm-hmm. um, because it was introduced by Dave Barrett in 74 in an NDP government, and it was a you know it was a very progressive, advanced NDP government that did lots of things, and a lot of great things came out of it. And many people would say ICBC is not one of them, but I will tell you, having lived in provinces without you know socialized uh, car insurance that it does make a lot of sense because everybody has to buy registration for their car no matter what. Governing the highways uh, is something that applies to the entire province. And in Alberta, there's always somebody driving around without insurance. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, because I was going to tweet this and then I thought, eh, maybe I shouldn't. But I'll say it on the podcast because I'm reasonably certain that even though David Eby has come on the podcast... He does not listen to the podcast. You have, you have 12,000 followers on Twitter. If you tweet that, it will get out there. The people who listen to the podcast may be into the hundreds or thousands, even who knows, but yeah, you're I, much safer. I have like 13,000 plus Whatever, 13,600 followers. Yeah, and and one of them is David Eby, but I'm, I, I, we have that many podcast listeners. David Eby None does, of them is David Eby. David Eby does not monitor his his Twitter account when he's a minister, uh, when he's the attorney general. It's just he didn't tweet anything for the entire time he was AG until just... <laughs> he uh, never tweets. Just the election came and then he started, you know, got back on there. Okay. And that makes sense. But, I mean, you know, 
I was going to ask. Some people do not like the fact that we as lawyers have Twitter accounts and that we express political views. That's the conservative, not not really negative Trumpist, oh, yeah. not Trumpist conservative, but conservative are view you, of lawyers. Are you referring to the fight I got in with the People's Party uh Former People's Party candidate, no, 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 libertarian no, the, candidate, who no. said I shouldn't, I shouldn't advocate for people to vote for one candidate over the other because of my privileged position as a lawyer, which made no fucking sense. No, no, there's lawyers. There's lawyers who don't like it. Well, those lawyers can stuff it. Well. <laughs> um, come, come to terms with it. Let me get my point out, or you won't be my co-hostess with the mostest. Uh, I just You'll thought I'd mansplain a little bit. Be my sometimes guest. I'll I'll demote you. Um, lawyers, by and large, essentially shunned David Eby after the changes to ICBC that he had been making when it was part of his portfolio. True. Will he be welcomed back into the fold? Will we once again claim David Eby as one of our own? Well, there's an interesting thing. Uh, the practice of law and the profession of law is a lot like high school. Uh -huh. And I discovered that the moment I got into the studying law, going from being a history student where it wasn't cliquish at all to being a law student where... It was like, just like high school, there was the popular kids and then there was the outside kids. And I was always the outsider. And I suspect David Eby was always the outsider. And he was an outsider when he was practicing. I mean, a lot of people admired him very much so for the things that he did. But when he was practicing privately, um, he was a bit of an outsider. And of course, the NDP is not the uh, party of lawyers in British Columbia. Uh, you know, a lot of lawyers make a lot of money through a lot of big business that, you know, they, they, they manage to bill. Um, that's not us. So many lawyers uh, are, you know, not uh, welcoming to the iconoclast. And he's a bit of an iconoclast. So will he be welcomed back into the high school clique? He never really was part of it. He was uh, part of the little bit of the outsider group before. Right, sure, that, but... I'm thinking more about the vast sense of betrayal that lawyers felt, it's the personal injury bar in particular. Well, I'm looking at my personal injury case right now and I'm feeling a bit of a sense of betrayal. There's certainly that. The personal injury bar has got a uh, crisis beyond COVID to deal with that is an existential crisis as well. Uh, the bigger crisis from my perspective is from the perspective of an injured driver because I'm an injured driver now up against soft tissue damage that has cost me tens of thousands of dollars and and incredible pain and now I have to sit there and try and figure out how we can persuade them to pay what I should rightfully be getting. So are the lawyers going to welcome him back? Um, no, lawyers tend to have a long memory. You know, the, uh, somebody the other day we were talking about, I can't remember what we were talking about. This is conservatives and, and the, the, how long the conservatives have held a judge, a grudge against Jane Fonda. They, they still do, you know, like they're, they're going to be the, the, the extremist Trumpists are going to be, uh, still chanting lock her up about Hillary Clinton, um, you know, 40 years from now when, um, 
when uh, this is so far gone. Um, will they forget? Fairly conservative group lawyers overall. No, I don't think they will. That's true. Okay, moving on. Speaking of lawyers and lawyers who are excluded from the fold and the dislike of the iconoclast in the legal community, what of defense lawyers? Because people often don't get us, us criminal defense lawyers, which is sad, but more importantly, life-threatening in a pandemic. Yeah, so this is what we learned this week. Of course, there is a It's outbreak. been a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind. So there has been a outbreak in the courts of COVID, and it. Um, we've since learned that it is likely limited to Surrey. Whether you accept that, I don't know, because we have no idea what actual information is out there because it's not getting to us. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, We found I, out because a prosecutor phoned us in the middle of a trial to tell us the information that he had learned. Which led us to conclude, I mean, he had concluded reasonably as well that it was affecting the courthouse we were at. Mm-hmm. Um, that was apparently wrong. Whether or not that is true, we don't know. Um, we're, you know, operating under the assumption now that it's not at the courthouse that we're in, but by, you know, Friday at lunchtime, maybe it will be with somebody else. Who knows? Um, but uh, so far now, over 20 people at the Surrey Provincial Court. So we learned about Surrey at the beginning of Thursday, and then it made the news late in the day. And I still haven't seen any official statement at this point. No, no official statement. We've seen news stories, an announcement from the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers, and some gossip and and muttering. But what gets me is that nobody thought about the defense lawyers. Like you've got court staff, apparently, according to News 1130, 20 members of staff at the courthouse who are self-isolating and who've been tested because of their exposure. Two sheriffs who tested positive, but nobody thought, hey, maybe we should tell defense counsel because they may have had contact with these court staff. They may have had close contact with the sheriffs or alternatively their client who had close contact with a positive sheriff. But that information's not getting to the defense bar. And how many defense lawyers frequent the courthouse in a day? And of those defense lawyers, how many of them spend a significant portion of their day in the courthouse? You go to a restaurant, they take your phone number and your name <laughs> so they can they call you. they don't do that at the door of the court. They don't do that at the door of the courthouse. And I can understand there might be some privacy concerns and people might get freaked out about it. It's a courthouse. But the courthouse isn't open generally for the public right now anyway. You go to the front door and the sheriff quizzes you about where you're going and why. Why are you And there? they open the door uh, I had five to minutes before. I stand in the rain earlier this week. Waiting for the... In a dress with no, you know, no pants, uh, waiting for the courtroom to open because they wouldn't let me in the body of the courthouse before court started. It's been years since I was standing in the court without any pants. I couldn't believe it when they made that, uh, made you do that. That was, I stood there in the rain staring at them the whole time because I thought if you're going to make me stand outside in the freezing cold when there's literally nobody in the building... And the capacity for the building is bigger than 
the nobody that's in there, then thank you. And you're counsel. And I'm counsel. And I'm going to have to, like, do my job now being wet and cold. Well, I've had to do the slalom around sheriffs, asking them to step back, not... Not none of them stepping back six feet, some of them three and four feet, and you know, then slipping through and going, <laughs> hope, hope I get past the COVID that you might have, or hope you don't get the COVID that I might have. And, um, was it's, it not uh, like two, two weeks ago on this podcast? We talked about the way that the screening questions have sort of now morphed into, Are you feeling okay, counsel? Yeah, and I, you know, as I've been going into court, I'm kind of like uh, about the same as yesterday. Um, you know, and shrugging my shoulders and then, well, sanitize your hands and walk in. Like, what else are they going to ask me? I'm not going to go to court, I suppose. I, I don't think I'd go to court if I feel really sick. I don't feel great right now, but I'm going to court tomorrow morning. We'll see how I feel. But am I going to hold up a whole long process because I've, you know, my throat's a little sore? Yeah, well, they're expecting you to do that. I know, but I, I like But at I, the same time, they're expecting you, as as they say, it's business as usual. Get to court. You know, I would never not go to court prior to this because I had a little bit of, you know, aggravation in my throat. And maybe it's because I was talking all day because I was in a trial. You know, maybe it's because I ate something that, you know, was scratchy. Maybe I just snored really loudly all night. I had pneumonia in about 2003 or around there. And it was something I contracted at the Main Street Courthouse in Vancouver. And it was bad. And I didn't realize how sick I was. And I went to drive to work. I had a trial. I planned on going to court for my trial. I don't know that I had prepared or anything. I was just like delirious. And I remember driving across Burrard Bridge and I realized, hey, I can't press the brake. I don't have enough strength in my leg to press the brake. And so I used both feet to press the brake to stop my car. Uh, I went to the office and told people at the office, somebody's got to go to court and adjourn my trial. And I haven't missed like, I, I don't think I've missed more than one or two trials because of illness over the course of my career. Um, there's been a few. There's been a few. Uh, but that was, uh, I was ready to go to court that day. Stupid. I mean, I've had to cover for you on the man cold before. That's true. But I a mean, lot. you know, when I get sick, I get really sick. You suffer. Yeah. But when, I, I won't say you're but, really sick because when I look at you, this is not an insult, but when I look at you, when you're like, I'm so sick, oh my God, you look totally fine. Like I would look at I you always and go, looked, That's because I always look eh, a little sick. You, yeah, yeah, maybe it is. But when you had H1N1, I, I had H1N1, we were both very sick. Yes. I didn't really know you then, but no, your description you, of it is. You were willing to hire me well, or interview me, I guess. I, I interviewed you before. Yeah, but you and you, we you set gave up the me interview. H1N1 no, or something. No, no. Oh, we I was home okay. quarantining when I emailed you my resume. Mm. And you wrote me back and said, I'm home quarantining from H1N1. Okay. When I'm healthy, we'll have an interview or something. Is that what I said? Yeah. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. And then you were healthy. And then we had an interview. And then you gave me a job. And now here we are a decade later in another pandemic. Uh, H1N1, that was a good pandemic compared to this one. Anyway, I think there should be more transparency from our courts for defense lawyers so that we know what the fuck is happening. Well, I haven't looked at the BC Provincial Court Twitter today. I wanted to tweet at No, I have looked at it today, but I, not in the last couple of hours. But I wanted to tweet at them and say, what the heck is going on in Surrey? Mm-hmm. But then I don't want to look like I'm, you know, some sort of little narc or something and at the same time i'm worried about my health and the health of everybody in my office we've got 
you know, 25 people who work in the office who potentially could be exposed. And I take care of my dad and I had my pneumonia that's left me with probably permanent lung damage. And there are people in our office who have, who have chronic health issues. There are people in our lives who have chronic health issues. I don't, I. You look at Australia. Except for me. I have nobody. (laughs) You look at Australia um, and other places where they've made the political decision to like, aim for zero COVID. Uh, and we didn't make that political decision in any part of Canada. We decided well, to live with it COVID. To be fair, yesterday, Bonnie Henry said, it's not possible for us to get rid of COVID and for us to have that zero because of where we're situated globally, airports, all of that. It's just not possible to keep it out of BC. I get that, but we could have a lot less and we put, yes. we put people at risk on the basis of the political decisions that they make with respect to how much they're going to limit things. And at the beginning of this, Justin Trudeau said, we're going to do what's necessary. And they have continued to make that offer at the federal level. Whereas the provincial governments, particularly in Ontario and Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Quebec have looked at it and said, oh, we've got to find this balance. We don't want to hurt the small businessmen. I get the small businessmen angle. The federal government is offering to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's a matter of uh, those people seem to be more concerned about their, uh, you know, they're not concerned about the people they kill, I guess, because they won't vote. They're concerned about the people who um, who will vote for them in the next election, which is the people maybe who's kept their jobs during the course of the pandemic. All right, moving on, because we can only talk about COVID so long before, you know, we risk getting into the COVID fatigue and we've strayed from driving law. And I want to talk to you about a BC Supreme Court driving law decision that was recently released. It's actually from August, but it's um, published recently. So a man, Dean Pastega, represented himself in BC Supreme Court on the basis of the fact that he had read a news story and you probably recall this, that having your cell phone on your lap is not holding the device. And there was, for a very brief period, a BC provincial court case that said, yeah, 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 if your phone's on your lap, you're not holding it. Because you have to be grasping it, like with your hands. That's what meant, what's meant by holding it. And, and we never agreed with that. I, I we, mean, weren't, I, we weren't interviewed. I thought it was more. clever. Um, I thought it was wrong. And then... That was revisited in another case where the BC Supreme Court essentially said, no, it's holding it. It's holding it on your lap. Don't be stupid. Clearly, they're trying to prevent danger. It's distracting. It's dangerous. It shouldn't be on your lap. You're balancing it on your on your leg. The problem was that Mr. Pastega <clears throat> only saw the one news story. So he brings his appeal, not on the basis of a well-researched legal argument with all of the authorities and statutory interpretation. He brings his appeal on the basis of a news clipping. And the judgment is incredibly short. It essentially says this, Mr. Pastega, it is evident that you and probably many other people have been misled by a news report about the law. I'm not blaming anyone for that, but the reality is that news is reported in a certain way for a certain purpose, and the analysis of the law is not always as complete as it needs to be. I accept what you have told me about the situation, but the bottom line is that the police officer was correct in telling you that it did not matter that your phone was not in your hand. As you explained, you had the phone on your lap and you were using it to speak with your wife. 
According to the case authorities with which Ms. Gagnon, Crown Counsel, referred this morning, your actions clearly fell within the scope of conduct prohibited by the legislation. So not only was it on his lap, he was also using it. Literally using it. He was engaged in a phone call and a phone wasn't mounted. Well, innocence or uh, failure to know the law. What is the phrase now? Ignorance, no, of, ignorance the law of the law is, is no, no excuse. excuse. So very disappointing for him. Um, but a lot of people, I think, see those things and they, you know, they go to court thinking that that's going to be a defense for them. Yeah. Um, and um, it's unfortunately, you can't rely on what's reported. Yep. You can't rely on what's reported. You should be, if you want to appeal your your decision or appeal your ticket that you've pled guilty to by paying, you should be contacting a lawyer. Like, don't go at it on the basis of... Well, running an appeal on the basis of a news story, yeah. uh, any lawyer would have told you. I mean, that the decision is so short because any lawyer would have told you that you're not going to succeed on that basis. That's correct. There's also another BC Supreme Court judgment released this week. And this one is about a traffic stop. And this case you're going to love, Paul. Um, so this was a uh, Mr. Um, there were actually two individuals, uh, Suleiman Mohammed Ab- Abdullahi and Ahmed Ali Ismail. Um, both of them are driving at night in a parking lot. And this officer, Constable Espinoza, sees them driving in this parking lot. And he goes, oh, well, that's very suspicious that there are two men in this car, which is registered not to, or three men, sorry. Um, in this car, which is not registered to a man, but registered in a woman. And they're driving through this parking lot where everything except A&W is closed, and they're not going in the direction of A&W. I'd better pull them over because it looks like they're casing the joint. Poor three guys driving home from work at A&W in one of their girlfriends or mother's cars, probably. Poor three brown guys driving home. So this case became very important because the question was whether or not the detention was arbitrary. And the court found that the officer had no right to conduct the traffic stop, in part because he lied by omission in court when it came out in cross-examination that there were actually three other businesses. There was like a Burger King and a London Drugs or a Shoppers Drug Mart or something and a Starbucks that were all open at that time. And he didn't say that in his testimony. That's important. Yep. He didn't make any notes of apparently arresting them on the basis of a smell of cannabis in the car. Um, the case took place uh, at, a, at a point in time when cannabis was still illegal. So he, they could be arrested for simple possession on the basis of that. Um, and he took no notes of chartering and warning them and handcuffed them in the course of the arrest, even though there was no need to do so. And what they did afterwards, after they were handcuffed, is he took picture of them he says for identity purposes and that it was an extension of his notes well the court says first of all traffic stop unlawful officer lied second of all no notes of the charter rights and warnings bad officer juju third of all taking a picture is a search and it's unlawful and you can't just take a picture of somebody for no reason which is fascinating and has significant application to driving while prohibited cases. Significant application. And? But driving while prohibited, the substantive thing is identity. Yeah, but there's lots of ways to establish identity without taking a picture of a handcuffed dude. No, I I know what you're saying. Handcuff him and take his photograph. 
the last thing that is fascinating and important about this case is it actually deals with issues of racial profiling. One of the things that was argued here was that um, these individuals were stopped by Constable Espinoza on the basis of their race. And Constable Espinoza said, oh, no, I couldn't see their race. <laughs> and the court says, heck no. Bullshit. That's BS. How could you conduct the stop to verify the license? Like you're, you're looking at the vehicle and you can tell the gender of the occupants, but you can't tell their race? That defies credulity. And so they, the officer was essentially found to be um, acting in violation of Section 9. And at paragraph 66, um, the court says, in my view, the police stop was tainted from the outset. Though I am not able to conclude with any degree of certainty that racial profiling occurred in this case, the evidence leads me to a strong suspicion that this is precisely what motivated Constable Espinoza to initiate the police stop. As recently noted by the Supreme Court in Regina and Ahmed, at paragraph 28, there will rarely be evidence of intentional racial profiling or targeting of the vulnerable. And think about all those times that you and I have argued in IRP hearings that something happened that was racially motivated, that the officer stopped our client or treated our client badly or made a demand. Well, I've never referred to Regina and Ahmed. No. And I but, should be, apparently. Well, the adjudicators should be aware of the law. And the adjudicators frequently go, you haven't deduced any evidence. You haven't explained what about the officer made it racial profiling other than that you were a person of color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 is the evidence. Well, you know, I've run into this situation when I'm conducting hearings where, you know, I'm saying to the adjudicators, and, and I wonder if I'm, you know, shouldn't be saying it this way, but I say to the adjudicators, you know what that that, that happened. We know that happened because mm -hmm. that's the way it will happen in these circumstances. And my client couldn't make it up mm -hmm. that it happened this way. But you know that that's something that, you know, we see with police behavior. And I, you know, I, sometimes I succeed in those cases, but you know, of course, because they don't give us reasons for the decision, I don't know that that's been taken into consideration. But there's so often I'm looking at it, going, I can see exactly what happened. The police officer is not going to come out and say, you know, I hate brown dudes. Yep. Well, I stopped this lady because she was black. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's never going to come out that way. Nope. Um, but of course, you know, three young men just driving around in a BMW, it wouldn't really matter what your, what your ethnicity is. So that's a bit of a no win for the police officer. If there was a reason, he, you know, a legitimate reason for pulling him over. Um, they pull over because of a vehicle that is not yours has always bothered me. And it's bothered me more in the years of, um, that you can't, you can't steal a car anymore. Mm -hmm. because you have to have the key. And so that is becoming such a bullshit reason to pull people over, uh, especially in a new BMW. The only way you can drive that car is with the key. You cannot steal the car unless you have a tow truck. So to me, that is always such rubbish. And I've had lots of cases where, oh yeah, I, he was a male driving and it was registered to a female. So I pulled him over to check license and registration. You know, that's this is complete garbage now. That's totally fallen away in my mind. Yes. All right. You're you're pointing at me because you're very excited 
about the ridiculous driver of the week. But before we get to that, Paul. Oh my goodness. We have one other topic. Oh my goodness. This is going to be a long, long podcast. No, 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 no. We're right on time. Are we? Okay. The Sylvan Lake RCMP want you to give them the middle finger. Flip them off. Now, don't they have some plan where you... Yes. You give them the finger and they... Give you a $600 ticket for stunt driving. No, but don't they they make a donation to uh, something? I thought there was some... No. No? Okay. No. Right. No, they've decided that they're going to ticket drivers who flip for off freedom police of expression. officers. Yep. For stunting because... Giving them the middle finger is going to be distracting to other motorists. Well, the very first person who challenges that in court is going to succeed. Um, I was just thinking about my experiences in court and how different it is from one judge to the next, which is, you know, always upsetting a little bit for people to find out if they're not lawyers that it is so different from one judge to the next. But um, I remember I was in front of a judge once in in, um, Jasper, Alberta, and uh, his issuing of warrants was persons, uh, people would dispute their traffic ticket. They didn't show up. Warrant, warrant. And the prosecutor told me he would convict people of impaired driving if the police officer said he was intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Why was he intoxicated? What made you think he was intoxicated? Well, he was intoxicated. All right, you're guilty. But in my experience in Alberta, I've run into so many wonderful provincial court judges. Like I've never lost a trial in Alberta. Um, very, very smart, neat judges I've run across in provincial court. And the first one who gets this, freedom of expression, somebody, you know, telling the police to fuck off using a finger uh, and has a $600 ticket. Uh, Yeah, Sylvan Lake RCMP, you might want to reconsider that one. Yep. Bad news. They almost got the ridiculous driver of the week title for that. But there's been a disturbing trend, Paul. Two instances that have caused two separate politicians to be named a ridiculous driver of the week. The ridiculous driver of the week. The first. It's amazing. The first occurred back on November 9th, where an Ontario member of provincial parliament was caught on Zoom during a committee meeting, participating in the committee meeting. Oh, my goodness. While driving. Who was it? Do we have the name? Yes. Uh, it was uh, Parm Gill. Okay. Parm Gill, member of Provincial Parliament. Yep. Assistant on, uh, okay, Ontario Provincial Parliament. Parm Gill. So Parm Gill's driving and Zooming at the same time. Can't pull over and conduct your Zoom meeting. Can't get somewhere to conduct your Zoom meeting. Got to drive around and do it. Yep. Still not as bad as the Ottawa City Councilor, George Daruze, or Daruza, mm-hmm. who was not just in that meeting, uh, in a meeting, a virtual committee hearing, driving. He was texting. Well, and the camera caught him texting while driving while on a Zoom meeting. And wearing headphones on both ears. Well, that's a BC. Might not be illegal Might not be illegal in Ontario, but he's got his he's got his computer obviously sitting on the passenger seat. He's got his cell phone in his hand. He's in the meeting and he's texting while driving while zooming. 
What um, is with our politicians? I know. Just like Zoom at home, go pee, flush the toilet you know, while you're on Zoom. Take a dump. All of those things that we've seen other pe- people, stupid things that people... Watch m- porn and masturbate. M- masturbate like that guy on CNN. Um, this is uh, putting other people at risk. This is putting other people at risk. These politicians rightfully should be humiliated by it. Um, and um, it's very upsetting to see when politicians for governments, when we're talking about something that is a safety concern and is always held out, as something that's putting everybody at risk, texting and driving um, are out there doing this. It's uh, it's frustrating. It's upsetting. And I think that fellow who was upset about the uh, having his cell phone on his lap and felt that yeah. that was... Yeah, felt uh, that that was an injustice. Felt that that was an injustice because he saw it on the news. Should probably, you know, maybe better in Ontario to hold out the fact that politicians, the people who write the laws, the patients, people who come up with the means and methods of enforcing the laws are out there flagrantly disregarding the law. Mm -hmm. And hypocrisy makes everybody upset. It's true. It does. Fucking hate hypocrisy, even if it's me. Well, there you go. That's our podcast. Good podcast this week. Yeah. Lots to talk about. Oh, God, there's lots to talk about. I keep thinking of the news, like the Surrey Courthouse has barely made the news today. I know. Because there's so much other news. Like, But it's a huge story, but there's so much other news. Well, there'll be more driving law-related news next week. So if you need to reach us in the meantime, find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call, 604-685-8889. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.